a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. All right, welcome back, everybody. Nathan Rome is with you once again. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about violence, victims, something on policing and politics. And for that, I have Irvin Waller on the show. Mr. Waller is Professor Emeritus of Criminology at the University of Ottawa, Canada. His latest book, Science and Secrets of Ending Violent Crime, explains the scientific conclusions that violence is eminently preventable and the secrets to harness that science to have violent crime before 2030. After completing his PhD at Cambridge University, focused on the impact of incarceration and parole on men released from prison, he became Director General of Research in the Solicitor General of Canada in the 1970s, working on policing, abolition of death penalty, and gun control. Irvin has received multiple awards, recognizing his work to get the UN General Assembly to recognize rights for victims. He's also received recognition from governments in both Western Europe and North America for his role as founding executive director of the International Center for Prevention of Crime. Mr. Waller is active on issues of violence prevention and has advised more than 50 governments, including commissions in Canada, South Africa, United Kingdom, and United States, on how to use science to stop crime. So welcome, Mr. Waller. Thank you for the welcome. Uh, you're a guy who wears many different hats. And it sounds like you've been all around the world. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into all the projects that you're a part of and, and some of the ways that maybe you can uh, help prevent violence. But um, I'd like to start just at the beginning and tell us about yourself, where you come from and kind of how you got into this uh, life of working with victims and, and on violence. So I was uh, born in England. My dad was a barrister in the northeast of England. So uh, lots of uh, murders, assaults and robberies and thefts. And uh, justice was um, a major issue at, uh, at our meals. And um, I uh, went uh, as a, an apprentice on a British freighter from London out to um, East Coast, the US, and then across the Pacific. And during that, I was the subject of, uh, in my view, an attempted murder. I certainly felt I was being killed. And I also, uh, the guy who sat next to me at meals murdered the guy across from me. So when I went up to Cambridge to do um, basically maths and physics, it no longer meant anything. So I basically converted into criminology and uh, I was then brought to Canada to work on a huge grant, a uh, huge Ford, Ford Foundation grant looking at the effectiveness of prison and parole. And yeah, uh, they don't work. <laughs> and the reason they don't work is it's too late. And uh, so why do we put people in prison? And everybody said, well, because it's what victims want. And so I did a, the first study in Canada of what victims really wanted, but it was also about what uh, they could do to prevent it. It was about break and enter. 
And uh, as you said in the introduction, I uh, was then hired at a pretty high level at the age of 30 uh, in the Solicitor General of Canada. It's now known as Public Safety Canada. And yeah, it was an amazing opportunity to have evidence used on the abolition of the death penalty, gun control, policing, and also dangerous offenders. And the rest is history. I um, I left government uh, to really advocate for uh, victims and for um, prevention. And those are related, but they're really two separate goals for me. And yeah, I got this thing through the General Assembly and the Magna Carta for Victims. And it's still being used today. And by the way, um, in 1979, uh, Chief Lunny of the Edmonton Police uh, was at the vanguard of having reverse Miranda cards for victims. And um, it was for him uh, partly a sort of consumer relations office, uh, but it uh, meant that victims had a phone number they could call and they could get information they could find out how to get compensation. And yeah, it was really smart. And in those days, I, it was done because he thought it was right, but it was also done because it was a good way to get uh, the police budget because you didn't have victims complaining. Yeah. Well, it, you know what? Maybe I, I just want to go back a little bit. So you, you were talking about a murder in front of you? Uh, no, but uh, these were two buddies, if you like. Okay. Uh, it, it didn't ha- actually happen in front of me, no. Okay. Um, but yeah. Well, I imagine still, I mean, if they're your friends, it's going to have an impact on you, which is why you say you changed kind of your direction uh, uh, in your studies, in your work. Yeah. I, it, it, the victim issue is definitely um, a major part of my my work. I didn't realize when I first got into it how important it was. I was on the board of the International Organization of Victim Assistance in the early 80s. And that was at the time that the US adopted the Victims of Crime Act. And I was with a bunch of people who all had a victim identity, and I didn't. Mm. Um, and uh, But it, it changed what is happening in the US. Uh, Senator Biden was actually a, a relatively young senator, one of the people who pushed that legislation. I'd like to see it in Canada. It basically takes money from rich um, pharmaceutical companies and banks who cheat uh, fines of billions of dollars and uses it to do everything from support training, a first in aid for policing so that they actually treat victims better, uh, actions on victim assistance, uh, stuff on compensation, uh, and even stuff uh, the U.S. Uh, Biden again in 2004 uh, adopted uh, modest victim rights legislation, much better than we have. Uh, so, yes. One thing I was wondering, too, you were talking about the kind of the victim card. So I didn't know this had been around, like victims' rights has been a thing since 1979, or at least somebody here in Canada was considering it. Uh, was, was this like an actual physical card that you would use to give out? Yes, I, 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 I have copies of it. I, oh, really? Uh, it, yeah, it, it's a two-sided card. So it has Edmonton Police on the front, and it has the, in those days, um, the unit number of the officer and the case number, 
and it was a seven-digit phone number. And then on the back, it had, uh, if you like, rights. Um, they're not really rights because they're not enforceable, but they were um, how to get restitution, how to get somebody to uh, help you recover, uh, how how to get help in general. Like there were uh, five or six uh, items on, on the back, and you called this office, and um, a volunteer uh, trained by the Edmonton police would come out to you and sit down with you. Wow. And it's very much a model for um, the what goes on in California now and what's being proposed for the RCMP. Uh, and yeah, it, it's happening very slowly, but yes, it's a, it's very good. I think the only thing the only thing I can think of that we would have is that's even maybe similar is kind of um, as a domestic violence card. I'm not sure the name of it, but it's basically it folds out a few times and it's just got like lists of resources, phone numbers, um, you know where you can go for financial support, uh, emergency protection orders, uh, how to kind of get a hold of certain areas in the court system. Uh, but I think people also just think of that in domestic violence situations. You're not necessarily handing it out after someone's just assaulted or, you know, on the street or, or by a stranger. So maybe we need kind of a more um, all-around approach to making sure that the victims get these resources. It's kind of what it sounds like you're saying. Absolutely. I, I, um, one of my books is about rights for victims of crime and balancing justice. And it has a major section on policing and victims. And uh, yeah, the uh, NOVA and the International Association of Chiefs of Police invented this training program called Police uh, First in Aid. And the subtitle is putting victims at the zenith of, uh, of, of policing. I, I, I don't think it's used uh, anything like enough. And um, see a number, California, for instance, uh, has a um, has a, a card which sets out your rights and a phone number you can call. And I think the key thing about what Lunny did was he had this office there and uh, you could call it and you would get somebody to help you. Yeah. Uh, maybe just listen to you, but also help you um, apply for compensation, for instance, think about restitution. Uh, and help you through as a witness with the police, which is not easy. Yeah. And also, if you then go to court, help you in 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 in, in the court process. Okay. And uh, I definitely want to get into the role of law enforcement. One last question, just kind of on your career. Um, and this was in the email we had, uh, just a small email exchange before uh, being on the show. But you talk about. Um, being a professor, but it's, I guess it's not your main focus of what you do. So it's kind of secondary to, um, uh, say the lobbying. Is that, is that kind of a correct way? Like your passions more in trying to change rights more so than, um, doing the professor side of things. Uh, that's, uh, that's absolutely correct. I was lucky to have had two books before I left the government and went to the university of Ottawa and I got a lot of invitations, so it, it was relatively easy to get publications because as a professor, you have to publish or perish. And um, 
I, I, I was a happy teacher, but it certainly wasn't my mission in life. My mission in life was to make the world better for victims of crime, very clearly. And uh, so the books I've written that are peer-reviewed and published, uh, you know, they're significant things to uh, have uh, delivered. Yeah. Uh, these are actually about translating um, obtuse scientific academic articles, um, particularly evaluations of scientific studies of things that might prevent or things that were supposed to help victims. Um, these really translate them into what a city councillor, what a, a minister of justice, what uh, the federal or provincial level uh, can can do. And I, I mean, I, I, I should be um, sitting in a rocking chair somewhere. And uh, I, I am still passionate about this. I, I, I actually think that we have the beginnings of a new movement in Canada around community safety that will, in fact, reduce violence uh, by this 50% before 2030. And uh, you can do it within three years uh, in Edmonton if you chose to do it. Uh, and I am not quite so hopeful about victims, but um, we have now a Victim Bill of Rights in Canada, which actually provides no rights because there's no remedy. And But hopefully that will create enough momentum that we can see better things done after the fact. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll start with uh, just kind of what you see law enforcement's role is. Uh, and the reason I was thinking to start there is just most of the audience that listens to this show, they're going to be in a law enforcement capacity. But this is a huge debate right now. What should law enforcement be doing? Are they doing the social work stuff? Are they strictly just, should they just be doing criminal code? Um, what do you see the role of law enforcement as when it comes to, um, I guess, dealing with victims and then also the violence? So there's clearly a, a, an important role for police to respond to a critical incident. So priority one, priority two calls. Uh, there's a very much a role for uh, for police to uh, to to do that. Um, that doesn't mean to say that they should be doing all of those things for mental health um, crises. Uh, I think they're much better done by a, a, a mental health professional outside of uh, uh, policing. But they clearly have a role in investigating and enforcing the law and getting um, holding. Uh, people who are uh, dangerous or have done um, acts that seriously harm, um, they, they have a role. I, I, I think policing has a, a role in traffic enforcement. It's actually the area where they can probably save the most lives. So, um, yeah, there's a very definite role. But they also have a role um, in championing prevention. I'm amazed when I do talks actually across the world, but this is true in Canada. This was true. Um, I, I, I did a, a, a speech uh, in, in, on Vancouver Island in Victoria, and um, I was just finishing my speech, and a guy got up and passionately made the same arguments that I did. And he was an inspector in the Victoria Police. 
And basically what he said was, well, you know, by the time they come to us, there's little we can do. We can arrest them, uh, but we know that arrest isn't going to make any much difference, even if they do, in fact, get convicted or get prison time. And it's so important. And there are, there's a police organization in the U.S. that talks about early childhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, they need to be champions of getting uh, politicians to do uh, the, the right thing in terms of prevention. And the right thing is uh, for a police agency is part of what I call advanced prevention and community safety plan. In Ontario, that's now in the Police Act. Um, every municipality has to develop them. They're plus or minus good. Toronto is probably starting uh, to be a little bit good. Um, but there's very definitely a police role, um, sharing data with other agencies so that you can see where you need to focus prevention. And uh, yes, and I think importantly, talking about results. So you use the word law enforcement, um, sort of interchangeable with policing. Uh, I'm in the world of, of violence reduction. Yeah. So when you're looking at what works in violence reduction, there are things that police can do through enforcing laws. And um, I'm a champion of that police role. Okay. Well, would this be part of the... Um... So you have a project that, or you're trying to pitch this to people that the violence reduction office, uh, can you explain a bit about how that works and how you might generate public interest in this? Cause I think it's a, it's an interesting idea. Well, let's start with a little bit of history. So a, um, the chief of detectives with the Glasgow police, Strathclyde police, but, uh, the police in Glasgow, Scotland, attended a meeting that I was at uh, with uh, some people from Bogota. And Bogota had set up, re directly reporting to the mayor, a, um, a, a unit to analyze, to diagnose why so many people were being killed. And they did the diagnosis, and then they proposed things. And the things are interesting. They, they probably apply to Edmonton. They were alcohol. So we've got to do something to restrict alcohol. But good luck doing it in Edmonton. Yeah. But if you can, you will reduce a lot of violence. It was getting uh, handguns away. And uh, it, it, there's definitely a role to, uh, for enforcement in getting handguns away. You have to do something more than just enforce. You have to make it attractive to give up your handgun if you're on the street. And the third thing was a victim assistance program. So when the uh, person who was shot or knifed arrived in a hospital emergency room, you had a social worker come in and try and help him get out of that lifestyle. So the guy from Glasgow said, wow, he went home and he set it up. It took him a couple of years to get it going. He had to hire um, a public uh, health a person with a master's in public health who knew how to do the analysis. And the two of them uh, got, um, they got youth outreach. Um, they tried to do something about alcohol. They got the police to try and stop uh, um, knives were the main problem. The police were also involved with mothers of the young men involved in violence, if they had a mother in um 
pushing them towards these uh, outreach workers. They got a 50% reduction within 50%. So it took a little bit of time for the rest of the United Kingdom to adopt this. There was a commission recommended. Now you have 18 regions, including the whole of London. So the city of London has a office for violence reduction reporting to the mayor chaired by a city councillor. So yes, I think this is a great model. It works. Um, and I would like to see that happening coast to coast. Uh, it's important that, that the people working in that unit, I would like it reporting to the mayor or to city council. I'd like to see it out of the police. Um, and that's actually how it worked in Glasgow, though the funding came from the, uh, from the police. And uh, I would like the people in that unit, you don't need too many people. You talked about being six people in gangs and guns. Well, if in Edmonton had six people planning, um, that would be okay by me um, because they have to plan, they have to get funding, they have to train the people who are going to do the things, they have to uh, ensure collaboration between police and social services, and they have to get the federal and provincial governments to yeah. uh, to work together. Well, and one of the things that I, I'm kind of curious about too is like the generating the interest in this, whether it's on the police side of things, uh, maybe to give up some of those roles, but even on the political side, it seems like right now politics, a lot of it is they just look for kind of the uh, quick hitters, the things that they can do right away that produce r quick results. But is it, you know, how do you generate interest in, in something that's a long-term project that's going to require possibly millions of dollars? Uh, and it's, it's just, and I know this from our work, the prevention side of things is difficult because sometimes you can't measure the, you know, if I prevented a homicide, well, I don't have that statistic because you know, there's no body there. I know I prevented it because maybe an informant told me, hey, you guys, we were at this scene at this time or in this area and someone was about to uh, do this murder and they, they said like the police were there, I couldn't do it. But I can't necessarily report that to anybody. So how do you generate that interest in something that maybe can't have like a material uh, uh, feel to it or that instant, um, you know, like a pie chart or something for people to look at? Well, let me pick up each of your points. I'll start with the last one. So it, the reason why I know Edmonton or Alberta or Canada can reduce violence with, by 50% within the next three years is that Glasgow did it. And uh, they compared the homicide rate three years after they started with the homicide rate before it. So, it, 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 and I, the reason I know uh, uh, Bogota took 10 years, but uh, hey, we're now uh, 25 years later, we, we, we know a lot more. Uh, so uh, we know that a city can do it. We also know from uh, evaluations of innovations. So you said you can't prove that you saved one life. Um, if the Edmonton police chose to focus on uh, gang-related homicides, um, they could do a before and after an innovation, which might involve some uh, policing action or it might involve some social service action, most likely uh, both. So there's a program called Youth Inclusion Programs that was uh, spread across the UK, 70 Priorities. It's actually um, 
Public Safety Canada likes it. They, they like the evaluation. They say it works. Um, so you can do the before and after. So that, that's one. There's another one that I like a lot, and that's uh, called SNAP. It's actually uh, it was invented in Toronto. It's called Stop Now and Plan. Basically, it gets to young boys at high risk of becoming violent uh, before they age 12. And it helps them. You can actually see brain changes. I'm not sure that I totally believe the brain changes. I believe the outcomes. And the outcomes are very clear. These uh, boys are much less likely to be involved in violence uh, than a comparison group. So you, it, it's like you testing aspirins. You, you, mm-hmm. you have 100 kids and 50 go through SNAP and 50 don't, and you see the outcomes. And that gives you, according to the Center for Disease Control, uh, $30 for every one. Now, what's important about this is these are short-term. These are within three years. This is not eliminating poverty or uh, doing everything to... Uh, reconcile with indigenous people. This is stuff that, despite what you're doing, uh, you can see changes. Glasgow, they didn't eliminate poverty. They didn't solve the housing problem, but they reduced violence within this three-year period. Okay. So, and and it does cost money, but um, in my book, I talk about roughly 10% of what we spend, not just on policing, but courts are not that expensive, but on corrections. So that's the sort of amount of money I would like to see. Um, I've been proposing a $50 million budget in Toronto to start. So in Edmonton, I I think um, we should be talking about $20 million for a million people. Um, And yeah, that's a significant amount of money, but it's actually roughly the, I, I, I didn't say don't, increase the police budget, it's roughly the equivalent of what you have to do to increase the budget, police budget to keep up with rising crime rates. Yeah. So, uh, and in terms of political support, I agree that the people who, um, they listen to the people who are seriously angry and want punishment. Uh, but actually, uh, the vast majority of victims of violence, that means uh, 70% or so, but even if it's only 50%, want this stuff prevented. That's what you see from the government victimization surveys. And there's a particular group that want this prevented, and they are very important to the political game, the mothers. So the mothers of people, a young man involved in shootings or street violence, um, at the moment, they have three choices. Their son's going to be hurt, maybe come out of a hospital emergency room in a wheelchair. Their son is going to be killed or their son is going to go to prison. Well, none of those are great options for a mother. Yeah. So these mothers want change. And once you start talk about violence against women, where we can also achieve the same results, um, it's yeah, mothers, but also uh, women, children, um, and others are. I, I, I want this stuff stopped, and they're looking for actions that do it. And yes, if you innovate, if you were in Edmonton to spend twenty million next year 
on proven prevention and getting it into the right areas, which are poor areas, uh, with the families who are most likely to be uh, associated or producing the young men who are involved in violence, and that's maybe 5% of those people living there, uh, you need to demonstrate results. And uh, the famous Alberta program uh, that ran from 2008 to 2014 Everything was going well. They were doing everything right, but two things were missing. One was they weren't evaluating, so they weren't demonstrating results. Okay. Uh, the UK, as I mentioned, they're evaluating those offices for violence reduction. And so far, the results are positive, meaning less violence of all sorts. And secondly, they didn't have a constituency, and there is a constituency. You know, there, there are people who don't want this violence in their families or in their neighborhoods. Yeah, well, you know what? I think those are some very valid uh, options. And I know from our perspective, uh, at being in the gang unit, most of what we do is try to work on the prevention side. So we're always looking for new options. I, I was just writing down a few of the things you were talking about, like the SNAP program, youth inclusion, as uh, things I have to kind of research a little more. Um, one of the things you were saying right back kind of to, to the beginning was, uh, you know, police might say, we're dealing with somebody after, you know, they come to us as broken people and like, what are we supposed to do with them? One of the big debates right now here in Edmonton and kind of across Canada is uh, school resource officers. So as police, like our job is to enforce laws, um, prevent some violence, but do you think we fill a good role being in schools, like as SROs, from, and from my own experience, it seems like those roles do actually prevent a lot of violence. They can prevent a lot of things happening basically right in the school. Um, they, they get told about things that are going to happen before they happen. Um, but they also just develop different relationships than some people might, some kids might have with their parents or even on, in homes where it's one parent or, or maybe no parents. They're just, you know, they're with a guardian. So what's kind of your take on um, police being in those SRO type roles uh, uh, kind of in today's climate? So the evidence uh, shows that they don't make a lot of difference. That doesn't mean to say that the individual police officer didn't do some good. It's just that in a school without the police officer, somebody else does the same thing. So if the issue is, does this prevent violence? The answer is no, um, or at least there's a debate about it. There's no clear evidence that it does. And I, I, I see lots of things where there's clear evidence. So I would prefer that we uh, argued about the things with clear evidence rather than those that didn't. Um, now, it, it, it may help other issues. Um, it may help uh, people feel more at ease at uh, reporting to police. You've got to remember that only a third of victims in Canada report um, the classic sorts of victimization to, to the police. Yes, they report the more serious ones, but you also see, for instance, in sexual assault, almost none of it is reported to, yeah. uh, to, to the police. Um, and people like it, but the people who like SROs other people who aren't affected that much uh, by them. So you, um, the, the pipeline issue, I think, is important. Um, 
I, 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 my bottom line is uh, let's get some things like youth inclusion happening. Um, let's get some good anti-bullying programs in schools uh, that have been shown to, uh, to work. And that small group of uh, young men who are likely to be involved in violence we need to uh, we need need to get those youth inclusion people outreaching to them. We need to get them into uh, uh, something like SNAP. SNAP has a, a program between thirteen and eighteen. Um, there's a, uh, a, a thing on a, a wonderful website for your listeners uh, called the Youth Endowment Trust in the UK, and they have a toolkit. And on that toolkit, you'll see things that work. They're somewhat similar to what is in my book. By the way, the British College of Policing has stuff somewhat similar in my book. And I would prefer that we we invested funding um, on those. And yes, there's a police role relating to youth inclusion, because if you do have uh, a, a youth inclusion really works from a youth center with in the poorer area, typically with somebody who looks like the people in that area, uh, white or indigenous or Somali or whatever. Um, and uh, so how do those youth outreach workers get those kids? Well, they get them from schools, they get them from their families, and they get them from police. So I would prefer that the police were referring as opposed to um overplaying an enforcement role in in schools yeah well and you know what uh, i like the focus the the idea of the focus on youth because i you know i generally say this i've said this a few times on this show that by the time police deal with somebody generally uh many systems have failed you before you ended up dealing with us that's parents right from birth schools uh could be the health system there's a whole bunch of different things that you come across in, 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 you know, in one's life that kind of change your trajectory, your uh, thoughts about you know, crime or violence or whether you are willing to commit that against somebody or not. Um, so we kind of end up getting people uh, on their worst day. And I think the focus on the youth is uh, obviously it's a massive part of that. Um, and that's kind of why I was asking about like the SRO, because I know that's a, a big topic. And the SRO, I think, does have other aspects to it. Rather, like, And you were kind of mentioning, it's not just about preventing violence, but it's about bettering relationships between police and uh, kids. Um, but certainly other people can fill some of these roles. One of the things I was going to ask about uh, as well is the mental health side of things. And just kind of in combination with drugs nowadays, what would you recommend uh, a city or, um, or any community even? Just how are you going to work on lessening violence when people are, um, I don't want to say like they're not in control of their, their actions, but certainly drugs and mental health um, can make you do some things that you wouldn't normally do when you're of a sober mind. So how do you work with people when it comes to the, the drug issues and maybe in combination with mental health? So it, it, the answer for me is uh, upstream actions that have been proven 
to uh, stop these problems developing. And you listed a number of things that, uh, you know, family and whatever, primary school. So these are actually well-established. So there are uh, large-scale studies uh, done um, in different parts of Canada, Montreal, Toronto, are the ones that are best known are, are done in Chicago and London and Philadelphia, but they all identify the same things. Uh, problems with inconsistent pairing, parenting, so that's mm-hmm. um, a, a, a drunken father or no father, uh, a mother who is um, just not able to handle the, 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 the kid. So there's a fair bit of violence and um, watching violence and trauma. Trauma is very fashionable these days in the scientific literature, but it, it, it's real. And then you see what happens as they uh, go. Now we've gone, we're going to have a universal childcare program. This may uh, this may reduce some of these uh, problems, but childcare can alleviate some of these problems. And then you have primary school, and then you have secondary school, and uh, you have uh, cognitive problems. So I haven't listed them all, but they're they're well known. And this group of 5% who accounts for 50% of the offending in a disadvantaged area has these uh, on, on uh, uh, you know, way more than others. It's compounding. So you have to get to those. And that's what, so youth inclusion is quite late on, but it's getting to that. Um, SNAP is uh, earlier. Um the, the things you can do longer term with the uh, with the family, early childhood, and, uh, and and so on. You can also do things around um, generating uh, opportunities. So, uh, giving young men who have uh, dropped out of school, helping them get back into uh, school, and helping them get training and jobs and those sorts of things. And uh, these are, when you do these things, you see real reductions. Uh, I have a, a very close personal friend called Claude Turgeon, who was a, um, a frontline worker like you with the uh, Ottawa police. And 20 years ago, he was put in charge of a youth center like the ones that uh, yep. And what he was doing was a role model. Uh, He he wasn't really acting as a police officer, uh, as a role model for these young kids, helping them um, do their homework, getting them into sports. And um, but nobody evaluated it. But he always used to claim, "Well, I in uh, one year doing this, I stopped more crime than five years working in the front line." He still says that today. Yeah. Um, But the research supports it. But you also have to do a bit more than he was doing, and then you will uh, you will get these uh, results. And um, yeah, there are probably things that you can do after the fact. But uh, I'm the evidence is so strong on doing it upstream, and there are things that uh, you can do to limit access to guns, for instance. Uh, that's important to limit access to alcohol is much harder in in Canada mm-hmm. um, but uh, if you can then this has a significant uh, impact you can do it by spacing uh, places where you can buy alcohol 
um, much wider, so it, it's not so easy to get the alcohol. Um, another uh, sort of situational, it's in my stream, in my in my books, it's still upstream, is the Bogota stuff in, in hospitals, which was also the Glasgow stuff. It's also being done in London. It's being done in Toronto. Even Montreal is doing it. And it was done in Winnipeg for a short time. Say this is the approaching people who've uh, the victims in the hospital. Yes, so somebody's shot or knifed or beaten up. They have to go to an emergency room. The doctors sew them up or whatever they do. Uh, but you have there an outreach worker who talks to them. You know, you. this is your way of life, but you realize that you you may be killed next time or you may, uh, you may be the one going to jail next time. Um, and person says, well, you know, I'm going to get the guy who shot me, but uh, you slowly bring them around and you offer them some things that uh, they can cope with. And those things are like in that youth center where you can help them get out of the gang. You can help them uh, get into finishing their schoolwork, learning to read or whatever. Uh, you can, uh, and you can, you can reach them. And those results, the the YIP results in England was sixty two percent reduction in arrests. Mm. I mean, it, 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 these are uh, and and within a short period of time, two to three years. Well, and you know what? I think we were running a program. Um, we had it for a few years. I don't know what happened to it, but it was through. I want to say it was through the Howard Johnson Society, and when we would bring people into cells, so they were going to go for a bail hearing. They would have somebody there from that the group and they would talk to them and say hey you know here's some contact information for when you're released here's some resources uh so they had that point of contact there uh for a period of time as far as i know it's not continuing and i don't know what happened to it so maybe that's it sounds like it's something along the lines of what you're talking about but you know in the hospitals would be a good area too for the victim side of things, because we'll obviously our, ours was on the offender side. Um, I, we're just kind of coming up to the end of our time, so I want to be respectful of your time here because I know you got another uh, appointment. Um, I just want to mention the book. Just ask a question about that. Uh, so the, the Science and Secrets of Ending Violent Crime. Well, how did this book kind of uh, come about? And I'm guessing it's maybe a, a summary of the th- all the things we've been talking about today. Well, it, it, it was actually on a contract for um, the main bank that funds projects in Latin America. And they came to me to check the Spanish translation of the science of these things that have been proven to work that are available on websites. And they were translating the website from the U.S. government. And I said to the guy, you realize that nobody has ever used any of these things. <laughs> oh, he said. Um, so we then got into a discussion about how to get them used. So the secrets is about what we need to do to get them used. So we've talked about Glasgow. We've talked about community safety planning beginning to spread in, in, in Canada. But we have to make sure that the people who do the planning know the science and also know how to target the science. And that's a skill. And it's a skill that can be taught. Yeah. And we need to create a generation of people who can do that. Do it for Edmonton. You know, you, you only need one or two who, who are actually uh, qualified to do it to make it happen. You may need other people around them. 
And then it talks about how we get this stuff used. And um, we have to come back to this. Uh, I believe that the best argument to get this stuff uh, used is that it saves lives. It stops injuries. It stops trauma. Uh, and that's, of course, where I come from. And um, the evidence is that it does. And I think there are uh, lobby groups who want that. I, uh, in, in different countries, I work with Mandela, for instance. I work with Blair in the UK. Um, these folk want to uh, provide a public service. And saving lives, stopping trauma, stopping uh, injuries, and creating neighborhoods where people feel safe is an important objective. Mm. And yes, it's affordable. And the book also talks about how we get this message out. Podcasts. Yes. Perfect. Well, uh, maybe last thing, just how can people follow you and your work? So obviously pick up the book. Uh, I imagine it's available everywhere, but also what other uh, social media or other platforms can they find you? The easiest way to get the book is Amazon. Um, or you just go on Amazon and you put the name in and uh, you can get it. Uh, it. I think it's important to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I also am on LinkedIn, on Twitter. It's just my name, Irvin uh, Waller. Um, we are about to launch a two-minute video that I used, by the way, in Edmonton uh, that is basically uh, hits the headlines. So this is how much violence and it's going up in Canada. This is what we know is proven to reduce it. This is how we implement it. And... Um, this is how we make the change. Uh, it, it, uh, it talks not just about uh, what's going on in the UK. It also talks about the mayor of Boston, who's just promised a 20% uh, decrease in uh, shootings and homicides within three years. Uh, and uh, I am beginning to see in the mayor election in Toronto, I'm beginning to see, and, and in Edmonton, you have city councillors who want to do uh, some of this uh, uh, stuff. So um, this video is a very neat way. Uh, it's available on my website, which is urbanwaller.org. You can Google me and you'll find all this stuff. Perfect. I'll put up links to all these different things uh, when the episode goes up. Um, and generally, have, uh, three or four weeks, I think this one I'll, I'll have live. Um, and we'll say thanks to uh, Councillor Michael Jans because he recommended you as a guest on here. So um, maybe we'll see some of these things implemented here in Edmonton. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to have you back on in the future and talk about some of these studies. There's so much stuff to talk about, but uh, I'll let you go because I know you got another appointment right away. So um, many thanks for coming on. If I can help in the future, don't hesitate. Good luck. Great. Thank you for including me. Thank you. We'll talk soon.